0: really thought about this, but how life change breeds that we become more responsible and more accountable I don't know if you've really ever thought about that, but just think about it when when a when a when a baby becomes a toddler, toddlers are taught I'm assuming uh or maybe this is just the Akins, I don't know but are taught when you play with your toys you can start picking your toys up you're taught some responsibility that comes with being a toddler where when you're an infant man you're just hoping that they just you know Make it through sleep through the night and all those really cool things, right? When a toddler becomes a, uh, an elementary age student, responsibility changes, and for our teachers, know there's a really big difference in responsibility and expectation and accountability of a kindergartner and a sixth grader. And those years are shaped with a ki- learning to be more accountable and learning to be more responsible, right? I mean, it's just the way it goes. So when you're a child becomes a teenager, and they get a driver's license. Now, if you haven't experienced this yet, let me tell you, it's not near as bad as it sounds. Okay? It's, it's okay. Um, it, it really is. Our kids got licensed, went to college. They drove across the state of Georgia. They came back. It was all good, right? They did come back. Uh, they keep coming back, but whole other story anyway. So, anyway. But, man, there is a, there's a rise in expectation when you're, you you hand your child car keys, right? And when your child graduates from high school, and if they go to college, man, then we're talking about responsibility because here's the deal. And let me refresh you for those of you who don't remember. When you go to college, mama ain't there to wake you up in the morning. Daddy's not there to make you go to class every day or do your papers or do your reading. And what's really funny is that students that go to high school and they float through and never have to study you know what they find out, like, within three weeks of college? That is a terrible, terrible thing to learn. And it's a learning curve. And, and kids just go through that. And it took me a little longer than three weeks, but that's another story for another day anyway. So, but there's this rise in responsibility. So then you graduate from college, and you meet the, the person of your dreams, and y'all get married, and all of a sudden you live with another human being expectations, accountability, responsibility rise, and then you decide to have a child and bring a human being into the world. And all of a sudden, you are accountable for making sure that a baby makes it through the day. And we find ourselves right back where we started. Life change breeds a natural response and accountability and responsibility. And what's true in life is true when we are followers of Jesus, right? And it's really simple. That when you accept Christ, when you become a Christian, when you assume responsibility for His mission, when you accept Christ, you are a Christian, and we talked about this last week. If you were here, if you weren't you can listen, but if not, don't worry. We're going to circle all the way back around to it over the, the course of the next few weeks. When you accept Christ, His mission becomes your mission. He doesn't ask. He doesn't beg. It's an expectation. We are accountable and responsible for his mission, and his mission is really, really, really simple. To make sure people go to heaven. That's it. That's his mission, to make sure people go to heaven. This is the way Jesus said it. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. So Jesus said, my purpose, my mission, the reason I'm here here." is not to be a great teacher, which he was, not to heal people, which he did, and not to hang out with people, which he did. My primary responsibility is to make sure people go to heaven, to seek and save people who are lost. And so when we talk, say things like, lost people are the most important people on the planet, it's because they were the most important people to Jesus. doesn't mean they're the only important people. But when it comes to heaven and hell, nothing else on the planet matters more than that. Now, let me remind you some things we talked about last week. Jesus came to seek and save. We can't save, but we can't seek. We can't save people from hell. We can connect them to the church. We can connect them to people. We can put Jesus in their path. I mean, so there are things that we can do if we just have the courage to do it. Uh, Andy Stanley uh, I told this story years ago, and it's one of my favorite ones that he told he tells the story about this guy in his church who got called on a last-minute business trip, and he was flying to Dallas, Texas. And he nor- he's accustomed to traveling first class when he travels, but he he didn't because it was a last-minute thing. He had he had to travel like the rest of the world does, right? In coach. Now, in coach, there are two seats that are prime. the The aisle, the window seat, is the best. Now, if you don't agree with me, we need to talk about what's important in life. The window seat's the best. The aisle seat's the next best if you keep your legs inside. The worst seat on a plane is the middle seat. 17 hours from South Africa to Atlanta in the middle seat. I'm telling you, the worst seat to be on a plane is the middle seat. And and this guy gets stuck on the middle seat with a man on his left and an 8-year-old Down syndrome on his right. He's flying to meet and so he gets his book, and he starts to read, and, and he's just minding his own business, and the little girl just starts nudging him. Mister, mister, did you brush your teeth this morning? And he just smiled and said, yes, ma'am, I, I brushed my teeth this morning. Said, it's good, because bad breath is bad. And yes, it is. So he went back to his reading. Mister, mister, do you smoke? No, ma'am, I don't smoke. Good, because it's going to kill you if you smoke. And you, you know, and everyone in the plane is listening to this little girl. And he says, well, we're done. And then she nudges him again and says, mister, do you love Jesus? And he says, you know what, I do love Jesus. It's good because Jesus loves everybody. So she goes back, you know, she goes back to her business, and he's reading his book. Because she sees the dude on the other end, asking I don't really think I should be not bothering God. Ask him. So, okay, and he goes, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you, but my little friend over here wants to know if you brushed your teeth this morning. (laughs) A a, a question I've never asked anyone on an airplane. And he smiled and looked at her and said, yes, you tell her I brushed my teeth. And she said, good, because bad breath's bad. And she nudged him asked him the second question. Okay. I'm really sorry to bother you. My little friend wants to know if you smoke. And she looks, he looked down and and says, you tell your friend I don't smoke. Good, because that will kill you. And he knew it was coming. She starts giving the elbow, asking. I really don't think that's the question. Ask him. I don't really think. Ask him. So finally he turns to the guy and says, I'm really, really sorry, but my little friend wants to know if you love Jesus. And his smile went away. And he said, honestly, no. And and I'm going through a really tough time in my life. And and I just I don't even know how Jesus could love someone like me. How is that possible? And this guy spent the rest of his flight talking to that guy about how Jesus could love him. Didn't want to sit in the middle seat, didn't plan for it but God put him in the right place at the right time by a little girl who was so persistent, she wouldn't let him off the hook of his mission. And here's what that little girl understood, that we all need to understand, it's really simple, that our purpose is, is simple, is to seek someone who's lost so they can be saved by Jesus. That's, that's our purpose, to seek someone who's lost so they can be saved by Jesus. That's why we're here. We're not in the saving business, but we're in the seeking business. We're in the searching business, and we're in the connecting business. And so the question that that drives this is, is really simple. Who's your one? That's the question. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's this one person in your life that is disconnected from the church, disconnected from God, who's struggling, who's drifting through life? Who's the one person in your life who, who, if they die today, is going to hell? Who is your one? Do you have a one? And here's the question that we're going to talk about today. Are you praying for that one? Because here's what I know. It's one thing to say you have somebody. It's another thing to say you wish you had somebody. But it's a whole another thing to pray for that somebody. It's a whole another thing to, f- to pray for God to put someone on purpose in your path. So, this whole uh, six or seven weeks that we're in is driven from basically two chapters in the Bible Matthew chapter 25 and Luke chapter 15. And Matthew chapter 25 is what we talked about last week. We're going to circle back to it at the end. But Matthew 25 lays out for us what a kingdom dream looks like. And we talked about that a lot last week. We're going to talk about it uh, down the road a bit more. But here's what we need to understand when we talk about this kingdom dream, this parable of the talents, and and the guy had five, and he turned it to ten. The guy had two, he turned it to four. And the guy with one did nothing. The guy with five, he turned to ten. The guy with two went to four. The, the master, who's God, said, well done. The guy who did nothing was called wicked and lazy. And so do we want to be called wicked and lazy? We want to hear the word, words, well done. I mean, that's the question we have to ask. And so when we talk about this mission, this kingdom dream, and we understand that it's not my job to reach hundreds. And as you preach, I'm telling you, it's not my job to reach hundreds. I have the same job as you. My job is to reach one. That's my job, to reach one. Your job is to reach one. I can't double team. You know what I can do? I can double me. I can turn one into two. I can do that. I can't turn one into 50, but I can turn one into two. That's my job. And so we're going to camp in Luke chapter 15 today as we kind of go further into this thing, and we're going to be there in just a moment. But here's what you need to understand about prayer. This is why prayer is so important, because praying for one brings the reality of the mission of Jesus to your doorstep. Okay, praying for one. When I take the responsibility that I'm going to pray for this one person that God's burdened me with, but I'm going to pray for God to put someone in my path, when I pray for that one person, it it m- brings the mission of Jesus right to my life, and it makes it real. And it makes me accountable. Because if you're going to ask Jesus for something, and then He provides that, you better do what you pray what you pray about. And so we talk about these things. And here is is, and I wear this on on my wrist. Here here's the deal. This is really simple. Okay, I didn't come up with this. Uh, I don't even know who did, but it's really simple. Here's what you need to understand: found people, find people. That's it. Found people, find people. That that that's it. Who are found people? Found people who are people who used to be lost, but then they got found because somebody connected them to Jesus. Someone put them in God's path, and someone who was lost became found because someone who was found looked for someone who was lost why I'm here. That's that's my story. I was raised in a Christian home with Christian parents. And maybe you're going, well, that's kind of my story. You know what's hard if you're raised that way? You understand that everybody's not. We have a generation in our country, which means right here in Scraven County, that's grown up without parents who took them to church. It's a different world now. And my primary purpose is to be a missionary. Missionaries find people. And I don't have to go to South Africa to be a missionary. I don't have to go to downtown Atlanta to be a missionary. I can be a missionary every day in Sylvania, Scraven County, Bullock County, wherever you live. I'm a missionary every day. You're a missionary every single day. So found people, find people, and we see that. In Luke chapter 15, there's three parables. We're going to look at two of them today. We're going to look at one of them down the road. But In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells these really two stories about lost and found and, and the importance of being found. So Luke 15, in verse 4, we see this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for that one and that is lost until he finds it. So let's stop. Jesus asked a simple question. Dude had 100 sheep. Now he's got 99. And one of them is lost. He doesn't say what's the logical thing to do, because the logical thing to do is to go, I got 99 right here. I'm pretty good. I am still ahead of the curve. And if I lose more, you know, if I lose nine more, I still got 90. I'm still ahead of the curve. Logic says you focus on what you got. The good shepherd focused on that which was lost. And he didn't just go look for that which was lost. No, no, no. He left the 99 to go look for the one. Defies all logic and makes no sense. To look for a sheep, and sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet. And that's just, a, that's just a fact. We'll talk about sheep one day. I'm sure they're the dumbest animals on the planet. They get lost easy. They drown themselves easily. They, can't, they have not an ounce of self-preservation. They need someone to save them, to keep them alive. So he loses one. One gets lost. He goes and looks for it. Verse 5. This is where it gets really weird. And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. Every time I read this, I think about my dog. I talk to my dog every day. Now, for those of you that don't have dogs, I know you're thinking that's weird, but if you have a dog and you're pretending you don't talk to your dog, you need to come talk to me and stop lying to yourself. All right, I talk to my dog every day, partly because it's just me and Roscoe during the week. Now, when he starts talking back, we're gonna build anything y'all want to build. All right, but until then, I just talk, and it makes me feel better. And I just have this image: that this shepherd put the sheep on his shoulder, and he starts talking to him, and he's going back. Not, I can't believe you made me do this. I mean, I'm so I was lo- I'm glad I found you. But when it, but the the parable says that when he finds the sheep, he goes back and he tells everybody. Hey, I had this lost sheep and it was found. And you know what the majority majority of people would go? They already had 99. Because no one really cares about the one, right? But the one was the most important one because the one was lost. We'll circle back to that in just a second, all right? So then he tells another story. Verse 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Let me stop understanding something. Ten silver coins means this lady's got some money. All right. She's she's doing okay for herself. It's not like having ten quarters. If you all you got is ten quarters, then we're not talking about the same thing. So she has ten. She loses one. Still got nine. She's still doing okay, right? But she lit a like little lamp and she searched her house tore her house apart looking for one and if you think that's silly remember the last time you looked for something that was really important to you in your house and you knew it was there and you didn't know where it was at you know what happens when it's really important you get a little frantic you start tearing the house apart I don't mean literally but I mean maybe I do you start putting taking stuff out because you can f- clean it up later you got to find. What you are looking for, especially if what you're looking for is your car keys, and I know we've all been there, all right? Or for me, it's sunglasses. They're always on my head. But, you know, I I have looked for my sunglasses for 25 minutes and went, huh, there they are. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, okay? Verse 9, and when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. It's just one sheet. You got 99. It's just one coin. You got nine. It's pretty good. Unless the one's important to you. Unless the one matters to you. Unless the one's important to somebody. You see, logic says, don't waste your time looking for the one because you got 99. Be grateful for what you have. Jesus says, be grateful for what you have, but move heaven and earth to find the one. Because the one is the one who's lost and the one who's in dire straits. And it's the one who's most important, more important than the 99, because the one is lost and needs to be found. The 99, they're safe. Nine coins, they're safe. They're where they're supposed to be. The one that's lost, most important one. I saw this... uh, I saw this on Facebook, and I actually it's been popping up a lot, and you may have seen it. I shared this as well. But there's this picture I saw on it, and it says this caption. It says, Leaving the 99 to search for the one seems illogical and unreasonable, unless the one's you. Uh, I love that picture. I've seen it all over the place. Leaving the 99 to logical, irrational, senseless. And there are people that tell you the mission of Jesus is illogical, irrational, and senseless because you just be grateful for what you have. But that is not what we've been called to do. So um, I don't remember, six years ago, I guess it was, we had this dog named Ginger. She was my dog and my son's dog, and she died. And I'm telling you, two big dudes trying to dig a hole, inconsolable. It was awful. So I said, I'm done with dogs, that's it, can't do this anymore, I'm out, no more, that's it, I'm not, I'm done, until this dumb dog started showing up at my house, and I ran him off for like a week, and he kept coming back, and I believe he kept coming back, because somebody in my house was, was talking to him, hmm, and playing with him, and someone in my house named Brittany took this dog and washed him over and over and over and over till the mud and the fleas and all the stuff were off of him, and then someone named Crystal calls me from the vet one day to tell me he's a Boxer of Rhodesian Ridgeback, which A, I didn't know, and B, I just said, I got a dog, because when you take a dog to the vet, it's yours. I still didn't want him. I just just didn't want it. Until the night the Lord taught me a valuable lesson. Crystal and Brittany were at CIY with our high school group, and uh, Roscoe ran off. My first impulse wasn't, thank goodness. I started calling people, frantic looking for my dog. And as the first time I said, my dog, I never said, my, it was always their dog, my dog. What is, their do- what is your dog laying in the house? Well, it became my dog. I drove all over the place looking for my dog. And when I found my dog, I brought my dog home covered in mud and in some kind of, I don't even know where he had been, washed him over and over and over, sat in the floor with him and cried. And here's what I learned. He wasn't important to me, but there's two people I love dearly that he mattered to. And because he mattered to them, he should matter to me. And now he's my buddy. But he had to run off to teach me a lesson. Lost people may not matter to you. It can be some faceless person you don't know. But they matter to the king of kings. And if they matter to him, it should matter to us. And when I pray for one, it's no longer this faceless human being. It becomes somebody with a body and a soul who's got a life, who's troubled, who's searching, who needs help. Praying for one makes the mission real. And the truth is simple. It's the responsibility of found people to seek lost people so you can be saved by Jesus. There are three armbands on my wrist. One is, this is my Riley Jane armband. Uh, This blue one is our mission statement, which you can pick those up on your way out. There's blue ones and green ones. And this other one I've had for a long time. I have a whole drawer full of them because I break these. I have like 10 of them in a drawer over there. And there's two phrases on there. They remind me of what's important. One says, who's your one? And the other says, found people, find people. And it reminds me, That my job is to pray for someone every day that the Lord put in my path. I need reminders like this. Maybe you don't. I do. My job as a found person, my responsibility, I am accountable. If you're a Christian, your responsibility, you're accountable. If you're found to seek someone who's lost and not save them. So Jesus can save them. Not our job to save people. It's our job to bring people to Jesus. It's his job to save them. So if you are are burdened with that responsibility, don't worry about it. It's not your job. If If you're burdened about the masses, don't worry about it. The one. Just one. Reach one. Find one. Pray for one. When one comes to Christ, Find another one, but until then, find one. Double you. Double me. That's my job. That's your job. That's it. Because when I do that, a lost person becomes found. And a found person is your brother and your sister in Christ. And we're all in the same family. Now, when when the shepherd found the one sheep, when the lady found the one coin, she threw a party. She didn't just go, oh, good job. You don't call people when you find your car keys. That's weird. Hey, found my car keys. Stop losing them, right? But the lesson is that when heaven rejoices, heaven throws a party, heaven throws a parade when one lost person becomes found. Heaven doesn't throw a party when you go to Sunday school. Heaven doesn't throw a party when you show up at church. Heaven doesn't throw a party when you, when you do something generous. Heaven just doesn't throw a party when you're not. Nice. Heaven doesn't throw a party when you volunteer. Heaven throws a party when a f- lost person becomes found. That's what heaven rejoices over. That's what we should rejoice over. I, w- I love the way that Luke chapter 15 says, and this is a message. It says, count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Let me read that again. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Doesn't mean 99 good people aren't important. Doesn't mean they don't matter. It means that one that was lost was more important because he or she was lost. And they're found. So, here's the deal. why, Why does this matter? I mean, we talk about kingdom dreams, we're talking about the church, we're talking about the mission. Wh- why does this matter? So let me just go ahead and tell you something you're going to hear from me over and over and over until you start hearing it at night in your sleep. And it's really simple. That life is short. And eternity is forever. That's, that's a fact. Life is short. Eternity is forever. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And every human being who has ever lived or will ever live every human being who has breath will spend eternity in heaven or they'll spend eternity in hell. And in the short period of time that we have, the job of the church is to take as many people to heaven as they can. And if we don't get that right, nothing else will be right. And nothing else will matter. And nothing else will be important. And that's just a fact. So, It leads us back to the question. Who's your one? I I challenge you, if you were here last week, I challenge you to, to do that. If you listen to the podcast this week, we challenge you to find a one, a one person in your life. Now, you may pray for years for that one, and you may work on that one for years, but here's what I've learned. Sometimes, There's the one you're praying about, the one you're working on, the one you're talking to, the one, the one, the one. But you know what God does every now and then? He puts someone else in your path who needs you. That day, in that moment, at that time. And that person becomes your one. You know how you know to do that? Because you're praying for God to put someone in your path. Today. For God to put someone in your path. Today. Years ago, I, I, I told this story. I had this... This dude at Sonic in Athens one day, I was coming back from the hospital and I made the the long way trip back to Sonic, which is out of the way, but I love Sonic, and so I went and did that. And this dude, who didn't know anything about me, starts talking to me about his faith in God. At the drive through line of people. He didn't care. He wanted to make sure I knew that Jesus loved me. That's his whole purpose. Never told him who I was. Never told him what I did for a living. But I was real excited that one guy loved the Lord so much he wanted to make sure I knew Jesus loved me. Because I don't know what the next person behind me in line, I don't know if they knew that or not. But they were going to find out. Who's your one? If you're a Christian, and this is the hard part, if you're a Christian, one, the one is your responsibility and you're accountable. Period. I'm accountable. Doesn't mean if my one's not reached, I'm going to pay for it or suffer for it or be held responsible for it because ultimately it's between that person and the Lord. But I better do everything in my power to make sure they at least meet Jesus. At least know that the Lord loves them. At least maybe invite them to church. Invite them to something. That's my job. I can do my job better. You can do your job better. We can do our job better when we actually start to pray for the one. So are you praying for the one? Father, um, Lord, you have made it really clear to us that your mission, that when Jesus came to the planet, he showed up as a baby. We get to do all that really cool Christmas stuff because of that. But ultimately, it's not about (coughs) Christmas, and it's about a death, a burial, or a resurrection. It's about a mission that's been implanted in our DNA to reach people who are lost, to help people who are searching, to, to reach out to people who are broken, to help anchor people who are drifting. Sometimes you're just lost because you're in a fog, and you're a Christian but you've forgotten who you are in Christ and you need someone in your life to remind you. Sometimes we're lost because we've never accepted you. But lost is lost. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Our job is to pray for lost people, to find lost people, found people, to find lost people. I pray that we will accept the, re- uh, the responsibility, to be accountable for the burden you've placed on us individually and collectively as your church. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.